0: I heard a really beautiful uh, way to visualize uh, metta coming into our our own hearts. And I thought I would share it with you all. That's not what my talk is about, but I just loved it so much, I would like to share it. Um, So I'm, in addition to teaching this retreat, I'm sitting a retreat as much as I can uh, I guess, until tomorrow at noon, and then I'll be able to totally sit that retreat. It's a retreat by um, Willa Tania Reed. She is a, uh, name used to be Odjon Tania, uh, and she and her partner, who I guess was also a nun in that tradition, uh, live in uh, Aotearoa or New Zealand now. And, um she had this beautiful way and 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 actually, the other teacher is Ajahn Suchito, who is a uh british uh, monk who left England when he was twenty or twenty two you know working class british guy, and he 's uh Thailand, and he has been a monk since then, and he 's like seventy five now or something, so he 's been a monk a long time. And um, Willa and Ajahn Suchito are teaching this retreat. It's called uh, the Breath of Love. And it's actually also a metta retreat, a loving kindness retreat. And um, Willa had this beautiful analogy of, um, you know, when the breath comes in, we can... um, Think of it. uh, I think she was talking about having some animals in her house. I think she has a few puppies. And she was talking about, um, you know, how she uh, calms puppies down when they get a little bit uh, frantic. And I myself, um, during the pandemic, uh, adopted a rescue puppy. Uh, Well, she's between two and three years old. So she's not totally a puppy, but. She was uh, rescued from Mexico, and uh, we got her at a rescue dog shelter, and um, she definitely has PTSD. I can see that in her. She jumps at uh, you know things when she's surprised by them, uh, and oftentimes my partner and I will just stroke her to calm her down, and Willa had this beautiful analogy of that. She said... Um, you know, going back to, uh, I always talk a lot about the two knowledge systems about our conceptual mind, our um, thinking mind, and then chitta, which is our intuitive mind or our heart mind. It's a place that uh, where wisdom arises from, when we've collected all of our data from our mindfulness meditation just collecting watching how things are happening and then wisdom arises from chitta but um uh yesterday Willa was doing this guided meditation it was so beautiful she said imagine that your breath is uh, stroking your heart and it's stroking your heart with love to calm it down and to just show it love you know, like you would stroke a puppy or an, you know, an animal or a dog that is uh, just riled up and, you know, showing it, uh, producing calm and showing it security and love, that your breath can do that same thing. So we can think of our breath, you know, the in-breath and the out-breath as stroking and calming our heart and showing it love breathing in love and stroking the heart and breathing out love and stroking the heart i just thought that was an excellent idea anyone who has dogs or other animals that we know how to um you know have to calm down sometimes and stroking is I'm sure a very popular way, just petting, petting our puppies or cats or other animals, or partners, no, (laughs) ourselves, (laughs) as a way of uh, calming us down that we could think of our breath doing that to our heart, just feeling the love and feeling the uh, attention to it. So, uh, it looks like we probably have as many people for this Dharma talk that are going to be attending. Other people might listen to the recording. So, today I am going to talk about um, the Eightfold Path, but how uh, particularly the Buddha taught and other uh, um, enlightened people talked about. How lay people practice the Eightfold path or practice the Dhamma? Or what is uh, the foundations for actually um, accomplishing uh, wisdom and accomplishing Nibbana? And I'm going to rely for this talk on um, actually an article that one of our spiritual grandfathers, all of our spiritual grandfathers wrote, actually Sayada Pandita, And we may or may not know that he is our spiritual grandfather, but he absolutely is. He, um, was, uh, he it was a monk in uh, Myanmar, Burma, and he took uh, the place of Mahasi Sayadaw. And many of you may or may not know that Mahasi Sayada was uh, an incredibly um, enlightened and also scholarly monk in Burma. And uh, there's a wonderful article actually on the Spirit Rock website about the reason that Mahasi Sayada uh, decided, he was the monk that decided to teach lay people in Burma how to meditate. Before, I guess, Mahasi's time, Uh, it was mainly just the monastic tradition that would uh, engage in um, uh, meditation practice and studying the suttas. But um, Mahasi Sayadaw decided in response to British colonialism, isn't that kind of (laughs) interesting, In response to British colonialism, the way that he wanted to maintain uh, Burmese culture was to teach everyone in Burma, all of the lay people as well, to practice the Eightfold Path and to teach them how to meditate. And that was a way that he felt it would, uh, you know, maintain the ethics and the um, uh, cultural practices of Burma as we many of us probably know right now burma is going through a very hard time and actually our beloved dharma teacher sister kamala masters um a few nights ago did a um did a meta event for Myanmar. and i heard that uh sayada utajania showed up at that event and i heard it was very wonderful that uh they all were sending metta loving kindness to Myanmar and probably even to the crazy leaders, to everyone in order to, um, you know, clear the space of greed, hatred and delusion and bring some uh, peace to all of our Myanmar relatives who are in time right now. But anyway, so that was Mahasi Sayadaw. And many people think that he is one of the reasons why mindfulness is so ubiquitous in the West right now. He taught, he really felt like everyone should be meditating. And then Sayadaw Upandita was one of his uh, largest um, uh, teachers after Mahasi Sayadaw. And um, Sayadaw Upandita is thought to be one of the main teachers and the reason uh, uh, within the um, you know Theravada tradition, particularly founded and continued to teach at the Insight Meditation Society in Burma. In fact, Sayadaw Upandita uh, taught long retreats at IMS in Bari. And um, so he gave a talk on... These three pillars, uh, p- pillars of Dhamma practice. Uh, another way to think about it is grounds for merit making for, um, for lay people. Uh, and, you know, some people might think that the practice that we're doing in retreat here is actually a monastic practice. And I'm sure that, you know, that would be not necessarily a wrong interpretation of it, but. I think many of us who, um, you know, have tasted the Dhamma, and I know there's a lot of long-standing yogis on this retreat, you know, it doesn't matter if we're late people or not, uh, deep uh, meditation practice and retreat practice is so liberating, you know, it provides us an opportunity to see the truth. And, uh, but anyway, so going back to what, um, Saida Upandita talked about in his um, in this uh, groundbreaking talk, uh, and that there are three pillars of the Dhamma for lay people. And we know the three pillars of Dhamma for the monastic community are sila, samadhi and panya, which are ethical conduct, Uh, And for the monastic community, they live by many more precepts than we do. Uh, You know, many, many precepts about, um, you know, not eating after a certain time of the day and, you know, not owning anything, you know, just living by the four requisites. I love the four requisites of monastics. It's uh, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine which says something about our medical system, right? (laughs) It is a requisite in some places in the world. Uh, But there are three other pillars of Dhamma for lay people. And uh, they uh, create the merit. And essentially, they create the karma for us to continue on the practice and realize Nibbana in this very life. And that was uh, one thing that Mahasi Sayadaw and Sayadaw Upendita really brought to the West as well, to all of our brilliant teachers um, uh, from uh, IMS, you know, Joseph and Sharon and all of those were absolutely, Carol, were absolutely uh, students of uh, Sayadaw Upandita. And... Um, Uh, Sayadaw Upandita, when he started teaching here in the West, uh, and I think this is in line with uh, what Mahasi Sayadaw taught, uh, you know, right now we see a lot of mindfulness in business and in mental health. And, you know, the purposes of those practices are to, you know, maybe decrease anxiety, you know, and maybe in some places to allow us to work Better or more quickly, which is, not you know, an interesting and maybe not necessarily the best motivation for doing the practice. But uh, Sādhu Panḍita really felt that we should all realize that nibbāna and awakening is available in this very life. That that is why lay people are practicing too, not just why uh, monks and nuns and um, Uh, non-binary monastics are practicing. You know, they're practicing for Nibbana, for a deep understanding of reality. And that is an absolutely legitimate uh, foundation and goal for all of us to practice, uh, to see the truth uh, truth of things as they are. And, you know, that was another wonderful thing about what the Buddha taught, uh, many other spiritual traditions, you're thought to believe in this or, um, you know, just have a belief in what the major spiritual uh, conditions are. But the Buddha said, no, I don't want you to believe me. I want you to see for yourself. So, you know, he taught this incredibly brilliant um you know one way to think about it is an advanced psychology but he said don't believe me you know you can believe me but that's not what is going to free you you need to see this for yourself you need to do this practice yourself and that's exactly what mahasi sayada sayada upandita and all of the you know all of the founders of spirit rock and ims are saying too that this is excellent for your own mental health but the best thing for it is to realize uh, what the truth of reality is and to see that for yourself, is to enter the path, uh, to be a part of the area sangha who have seen the truth of of what these teachings are. So, um, you know, back in the Buddhist times, you know, he was a, we all know that he was a, uh, he was a uh, prince, right? And, you know, who af- afforded all of these luxuries. And um, when he came to understand, you know, it's interesting because he, I'm sure we all know this, he led a very aesthetic life. He was hanging around with other uh, aesthetics or spiritual uh, seekers during his time, 2,600 years ago. And, um, you know, part of that practice was an incredibly aesthetic aesthetic one. They would eat maybe, you know, one small meal a day. And there were other ways that they were just depriving themselves of any, you know, comforts in life. And uh, one day the Buddha had a memory of when he was a child of actually uh, feeling an incredible sense of sukha and relaxation. And it, you know, many people interpret that as um, him uh, experiencing one of the uh, material jhanas, one of the four material jhanas, or uh, sukha. You know, just a sense of uh, deep um, relaxation and a sense of deep satisfaction. You know, or non uh, of contentment of just being content. And that's, you know, essentially what the Brahma Viharas offer. Doing this practice leads us into that place. So I think that's another good reason why this practice is so central to uh, any motivation for practicing, whether to increase our well-being, to reduce our anxiety and depression, or to become awakened, (laughs) you know. There's all, they're all good reasons, but, you know, it's totally appropriate for us to shoot for the big reasons, too. So as, you know, I said, the three um, the three uh, pillars of the practice or the eightfold path could be considered, considered to be uh, uh, sila samadhi and panya, which is ethical conduct, um, meditative practices and wisdom. And for the uh, lay community, and this is something that uh, um, Saita Upandita really talked about too, was that for um, people not who are not mendastics, we have three pillars of the Dhamma as well. Uh, and it's grounds for merit-making. And merit-making, it sounds a little bit, you know, it could be a little bit Conceit producing, like yes, I do a lot of merit making. I do all these good things, but um, but I'll talk about it a little bit. So the three uh, grounds for merit making, uh, actually puna. Uh, there's a puna sutta that talks about this for lay people. The three grounds are generosity, or dana. So the first ground is dana, generosity. The second is sila, you know, which we all know sila, moral restraint. And then the third is meditation or bhavana. Uh, so it it's, it is it uh, is very similar to what the monastics are doing, but a generosity is thought to be a really important part of the um, of the um, lay people's tradition. So um, let's talk about those three for us. And uh, I want to talk about generosity or Donna, because, you know, one way that um, this wonderful tradition has manifested in the West, particularly for the big dharma centers that uh, the Theravada early Buddhist dharma centers um, are that no one who teaches at the dharma center gets paid to do that. So you probably all probably know that, that all of the teachers on this retreat, you know, Temple and Sally and John and our, you know, wonderful uh, Qigong teacher, Marcy and um, Sally and I, none of us are getting paid anything to do this. Uh, It's our own, you know, we're definitely accumulating merit by teaching because Teaching is absolutely a um, merit producing activity, but it's definitely not paying the rent for uh, any of us. Um, So that's one thing that I think it's important for all of you to know. And I think that that's true of all of the teachers at IMS and Spirit Rock and, and most of the early Buddhist Theravadan centers across the U.S., uh, that are connected, you know, people who teach there are not getting paid to do it. And um, actually, we're going to have our one of our um, managers come in at uh, 515 to talk about that, to talk about, uh, you know, things that you should know about before we end the retreat. So generosity. And I'll tell you that um, You know, does does generosity make us happy? And I'm sure we all have uh, different, um, you know, experiences of that. And I'll tell you, you know, I'm a social scientist and I can tell you that science says there are 10 things that are the source of the most happiness for people. And they are things like savoring everyday moments, avoiding comparisons, putting money low on the list, having meaningful goals, taking initiative, uh, you know, make friends, treasure family, look on the bright side. That's a big one. You know, you know, so much of us, uh, many of us are Uh, because of you know evolutionary psychology we're always looking for the saber to tiger in the bushes but there are so many bright positive things that are going on in our lives that we have to very intentionally take a look at uh saying thank you gratitude as um was talked about so beautifully uh by all of the teachers and uh uh, and actually, one of the biggest sources of um, happiness and well-being is generosity. That is on the top 10 list, generosity. Um, and it consists of two main strands of generosity. Uh, uh, one understanding of generosity is um, the teachings on how generous uh karma or You know, um, we know all of our, you know, one of the major principles of our uh, incredible uh, advanced Buddhist psychology is that things always happen because of causes and conditions. I think that's also how it works in physics. (laughs) You know, I love Diana Winston, who uh, runs the program at UCLA. She calls mindfulness mindfulness. Self-directed neuroplasticity retraining, (laughs) because, you know, that's what the Buddha invented 2600 years ago before neuroscience or understanding of all of that was even known. But that's exactly when you look at it, what is happening when we do our practice. So generosity. So there are three uh, routes to authentic generosity. And one is um, there's two main strands understanding how generosity impacts karma or is a cause and condition for really wholesome things to happen to us, you know, very positive things. And then also um, seeing the practice of generosity as a uh, manifestation of, of the precepts of sila. Um, So there are three beautiful roots or wholesome roots of generosity that make it, you know, Buddhist um, Donna generosity. And those are those three were um, roots are non-attachment to generosity and particularly uh, noticing, uh, you know, one of the my favorite things that happens in this advanced psychology is becoming, you know, when it's contact, um, you know, you have some contact, maybe the contact of generosity, writing your Donna check or feeling, how, you know, figuring out how much Donna that you can offer f- for the teachers for this retreat. And then how it feels of us. How does Donna feel? Does it feel um, vedana? Is it positive vedana? Does it hurt or is it neutral vedana? And then, um, Uh, clinging happens, you know, this is dependent origination. And then uh, down the line, uh, Upadana happens is uh, Upadana and Tanha and Upadana, we become something. So, you know, one of our identities, oh, I'm the generous uh, Donna person for all of the teachers on retreats. And, you know, there could be an absolutely very positive and beautiful element of that Uh, As long as we don't take it as one of our root identities, you know. So I think we need to be careful that, uh, you know, we give in the moment and then let go of that. And who is even doing the giving? It's generosity arising, it's our incredibly beautiful parami of generosity that's arising given the causes and conditions asking for Donna that's actually giving. So it is the parami of generosity, and depending on how strong that is, you know that can be what arises when it's appropriate to rise in life. Um, So the next beautiful root of generosity is non aversion or kindness. Don't you love that? And that's exactly what we have been practicing. Um, And you know we can actually have uh, non aversion or kindness. In uh, generosity, in many many ways. For example, you know, um, one of uh, the very deep uh, insights a yogi was having, and I, you know, I won't mention any names, but it was a beautiful reflection of, you know, uh, what do I do when I want to uh, tell somebody how I really feel, but also don't want to do any harm. You know, how do I tell the truth, but, uh, you know, uh, and be angry and have it also fulfill the ideas of of justice, of the truth, of how things really are. And I think that uh, one expression of generosity could be to hold back what we want to say based on anger, right? I mean, one expression of generosity could be wow, I'm feeling really put upon or not very well treated in this particular situation. Uh, But my expression of generosity in this moment uh, will be kindness and not having to have everybody here, you know, my take on how greed, hatred, and delusion is showing up for me. So kindness and non-aversion is also a beautiful expression of, um, of kindness of generosity. And then, you know, one of the deepest uh, understandings or outcomes of the beautiful roots of generosity is um, just understanding the wisdom of it. And that is, you know, basically the three um, truths. And that is having a deep understanding of impermanence, you know, uh, things that, uh, you know, we are generous in this moment, given the causes and conditions and, you know, in the next moment, uh, under different causes and, condi- and conditions, something else besides generosity might arise. I mean, that's how um, anicca or impermanence, one way that it manifests. And, you know, what we're feeling in this moment, uh, you know, about the teachings and about our practice and about this retreat, uh, it will change, you know, it will absolutely change over time because that's the nature of all conditioned things that they have the nature to change. And then, um, you know, another uh, potential way to understand it is that it's not us that it's being generous, as I said it is a beautiful parody of generosity that is being generous. And, you know, Bonnie can be generous given this or that, but there's a lot of times where she's not. So, you know, depending on what is arising, yes. So, generosity is one of the really excellent um, the excellent uh, ways of merit making that will further our opportunities to practice the Dhamma. And uh, the function, you know, what is the function, you know, again, in this advanced 2,600-year-old psychology, the function of giving is a weapon against greed or a loba. Uh, You know, when we're giving away, we're decreasing greed and, you know, wanting and clinging in as one of the mental qualities that we have you know, and Abhidhamma, I've been talking about that in the groups, you know, the, uh, there's only 52 things that could be in the mind at a time, and we're wanting to strengthen the beautiful, wholesome ones, and uh the unwholesome ones, like greed, you know, and greed is one of the three repositions, greed, aversion, and delusion, and those three manifest many ways, and when we uh, are generous, We are lessening the hold of greed uh, as a mental factor in our lives and in these heart, mind, bodies of ours. So that's an excellent function of generosity. Um, uh, Miserliness is not the only hindrance of giving. Uh, So miserliness and uh, greed is not the only things that prevent us from uh, giving. Carelessness and ignorance of karma is also one of the things that prevents us from having generosity as one of the root uh, manifestations or things that we can do to enhance our ability to full path and to have access to the Dhamma. So, um, another actually uh, manifestation of, um, of, uh, Um, generosity is an, uh, and actually this is in a sutta in the the Anguttara Nikaya, the five greatest gifts that you can give anybody is what? Practicing the precepts. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is one of the ways that we can absolutely be generous uh, to all of the people in our lives is to not steal, you know, not take what is not given, Uh, and to practice right speech. And I love right speech for lay people. It's not only not telling a lie, but it's also saying things when the time is appropriate to say them, which I think is an excellent thing for us to consider. You know, uh, I wanna say this, it's a truth. It's my truth in this moment. Is this the right time to say it? Will it have a positive wisdom producing effect here? Um, and when we practice you know the other precepts which are um you know uh, not um uh, taking intoxicants to be heedless, not engaging in sexual misconduct and um uh you know these basic five ways of life, this is also a way to be uh, generous and benevolent to all beings i love it. not killing anything yes. So those that's really uh, an, you know a deeper look at an understanding of generosity as one of the three major um, um, practices for lay Buddhists. And I love generosity. and um, yeah, it feels good to do. And you know, many of us can afford to do that. That's the other thing. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're treating ourselves, as well as retreating anybody else. So if you can't afford to get Donna on this retreat, know that you are being generous to yourself to make sure that you are okay. And if you can, if you can't afford to be generous, absolutely do that, because uh, you can consider that you are being generous and providing Donna and providing the Dharma, not only for yourself, but for other people on the street who can't afford to do that. And in fact, you know, that's one thing that Donna provides it, you know, ensures that the, that the Dharma will be continued to be taught and, you know, to people who can't necessarily afford to offer, um, you know, money in order for it to continue. So you are providing, you know, you are ensuring that it will continue and you are providing the Dhamma, you know, one way to consider it is to people on the retreat who cannot afford to provide Donna. So, you know, that's another beautiful act of generosity. And again, you know, you have to, if you can't afford to um, uh, give Donna now, I mean, t- money. Uh, Please know that you are being generous to yourself. And, you know, um, as the Buddha said, you know, you can look in all directions for someone who is more deserving of your love and your care than you. And you will never find anyone. No one is any less deserving than you, but no one is any more deserving either. So we, you know, taking care of ourselves. And that's one thing a lot of us, you know, don't do very well. Uh, we take care of a lot of people, but we need to learn how to take care of ourselves, too. So that was generosity. And then Sela, you know, like I just said, that sila is also, um, you know, an act of generosity to people. Um, and, um, you know, one other thing that we can do in generosity before I finish that is we can transfer our merits to others and we will do that tomorrow. I, I love that practice is what we do is we know, regardless of how well we liked this retreat, we could have absolutely hated this retreat, but, you know, continued to show up and it was incredible positive karma producing. It produced a lot of merit, you know, for all of us together. And, you know, sharing the merit is another expression of generosity uh, that is very um, uh, standard in a lay person's Uh, practice of generosity is we anytime we do something good we can think of all of those people in our lives that are suffering or not understanding the truth of things and uh, and share our merit with them and then rejoicing and other people's merit that's an interesting one you know that probably really speaks to um to uh, mudita you know other people can be very generous sometimes you know that might make us Uh, feel a little bit jealous or, you know, like, uh, you know, what's that person doing? They're just showing off. But actually delighting in other people's merit is an incredibly wonderful and important uh, act of Donna and generosity. So sila morality, oh my gosh, I talked about uh, just Donna, the first one for the whole time. So sila morality, uh, this is the second a way of merit-producing that you know allows us or is a, a, a really important karma force for us, right? Sila morality, one expression of that, of course, is just uh, like I just said, uh, observing the five precepts or the eight precepts or 10 precepts, depending on if you're in a deeper practice. Another way to practice sila is reverence to elders and to holy people and reverence to, uh, you know, dharma teachers. So, uh, you know, uh, one expression of your sila will be giving dana to the teachers and giving dana to spirit rock as well. And we'll hear a lot more about that. As you can imagine in the pandemic, it's been very difficult for 501c3s or nonprofit organizations for sure. And then another expression of sila in our lay Buddhist tradition is uh, paying homage to uh, spiritual places or places where we can practice. And I guess that would be also paying homage to spirit rock. And I know our beloved sister Sally, who was a teacher for many years here, is going to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. So that is one way that uh, it sounds like generosity, but it is also an expression of sila morality to be able to do that. And then the um, third, uh, again, you know, the third way we develop merit and create the conditions, the karmic conditions for us to have access to the deepest dharma is to do bhavana or meditation or training, you know, training and knowing what the truth, the truth is a training for wisdom. And there are um, four ways that uh, in the suttas, the Buddha talks, you know, particularly to lay people about how to do that, how to do practice and bhavana for uh, the lay community. One, of course, is to... um, is to practice meditation and that's what we're all doing here so we are definitely doing the mental uh, you know incredibly positive karmic um, uh, acts of practicing meditation and going into retreat oh my gosh incredibly merit producing Uh, and uh, so uh, bhavana you know we're meditating but how do we know how to meditate Uh, Other ways of doing bhavana, besides just going on retreat or sitting down, other ways to carry our uh, mental training into a 24-7 idea is listening to Dhamma, listening to um, teachings of the Buddha. Um, So, And we know that's one beautiful thing about our early Buddhist Theravada tradition. You know, there's so much... About what the Buddha taught, that's available free for us. And there's incredible amounts of recordings that are available. We could be listening to Dharma talks all day long and, you know, reading uh, Sutta and Sutta interpretations all day long. Um, I have actually a list in the bottom of all my signature page for my academic job where I said, link to free Buddhist resources. And I think I'll actually put that in the yoga in the um, yogi resource page, because uh, I found some excellent uh, scholarly uh, ways to to read the suttas that are free, you know? Uh, And actually uh, the people who are providing those, uh, if you feel like they're useful, giving Dana to that is excellent, you know? Having a monthly Dana to, Tan, who I love, or a Tupiku Bodhi, you know, any of those is an excellent uh, manifestation of generosity as well to, of Donna, and an excellent way to bring all these together. And then, another way of bhavana is actually to teach the dharma. And that's an interesting thing, and I know a lot of us who are on this retreat, I, you know, looked at some of the backgrounds of people, are teaching mindfulness in other settings, in a business setting or mental health setting and things like that. And to teach the Dhamma is actually uh, a way to train in the Dhamma. Uh, But I think it's really important to um, understand uh, how it contributes to generosity and to sila uh, and make sure that it isn't um, contributing to greed or to delusion, or to um, aversion, and you know some of the places that we uh, that the Dharma is taught, you know, like the medical industrial complex and things like that. One of my beloved Dharma sisters is having some Dharma release around that on this retreat, I'm very happy she is. But you know, realizing that some of the places that we do teach this are not the most wholesome places. And just, you know, it's not that we need to stop doing it, but just letting people know that there are um, other places to find a community of meditation practitioners, uh, you know, sanghas, yeah. You know, letting people know, regardless of where we teach, that there are uh, Theravada sanghas all over the country, all over the world, that people can also join and um, you know where the Dharma is freely offered. And we do have the opportunity to be um, generous and to increase our sila, our moral precepts, and to learn even more about how wisdom can uh, be uh, seen from a bhavana or a meditation practice. So those are the three merit-producing, conditions that we all want to continue to work in as we lead the retreat right we want to figure out where we can be most generous and you know there is definitely um there is definitely a in generosity you want to be generous to people who are you know uh some of the the highest teachers you know, giving to enlightened people and people who are close to enlightenment supposedly has the best karmic impact. And then making sure that we provide dana within our early Buddhist spiritual tradition would be really important as well. Absolutely. Yes. And um, so Donna, uh, sila, you know, figuring out how sila, bhavana and adhana. Uh, Actually, all go together. And a lot of the practices that we do are all those three things at the same time. You know, it's interesting how those all fit together. And then, uh, you know, I was saying the three root poisons are greed, hatred, and delusion. Being able to see those clearly as we have been conditioned into that. I mean, that's what we're seeing when we're having thoughts about how we're no good or we don't deserve this or that or how, you know, um, we're uh, uh, a BIPOC person, so there's something wrong with us or we're an LGBTQI, gender non-conforming person and, you know, there's something wrong with us because of that. You know, when we see just how that's an expression of delusion and of aversion rather than, you know, love and acceptance. And, um, you know, creating the conditions for us to have the opportunity to go deeply and to have, uh, you know, be able to see how greed, hatred and delusion, you know, I see it in myself all the time. Actually, at the University of Washington, when I mean, I'm in the School of Social Work and social workers are very social justice oriented people. When a professor says something that the students don't like, you know, they often will ask me to go into the room to talk to the students because I start off by saying, I see homophobia, ageism, racism, uh, you know, all of those uh, conditions in myself pretty regularly and uh to be able to say that uh it you know gives permission to some of the people who don't realize they're being that way to oh, uh, say oh my gosh you know i've got to decondition that and you know that's one of the best things that our mindfulness practice provides us that minute before we are actually acting on that uh you know unwholesome mental quality so it reduces the karmic footprint of that in what we're doing, you know, just having a second before uh, we, you know, are being, you know, and that includes us not being kind to ourselves. So, you know, let's all take that up as an important uh, ethical, um, ethical um, goal from our retreat, having our meta you know, be towards uh, taking better care and loving ourselves. So I could talk for the next hour, but it's time for our wonderful um, um, retreat manager to come in and talk to us about stuff. And I think who is the wonderful, uh, oh, there you are, Carlita. Yes, Carlita is going to talk to us about some things. Yeah, tell us about some things. Thank you, Carlita. My pleasure, Bonnie. Thank you so much. I
1: appreciate that. And bows to each of our teachers, all of our practitioners. Thank you. Thank you so much for your tender hearted practice. Uh, As Bonnie mentioned, I'm just going to walk you through some of the logistics connected with Donna. So to that end, allow me a moment. I'm just going to share my screen with you. All right. So here we go. All right, so right now the Donna buttons have been added to our homepage. So as you can see, they're listed right here underneath the teacher's images. We have the teacher Donna button for our teachers. There is a spirit rock Donna button alongside that for the center. And so I just wanted to quickly walk you through for the teacher Donna, you simply go ahead and click that button. And once it comes up, The key thing is you just want to make sure to highlight the correct retreat. Uh, So as my computer catches up here, right here where it says retreat name, just click on this drop down. And right there at the top is our July loving kindness retreat. So just make sure if you would like to contribute, Donna, to our amazing teachers, go ahead and select that. And then you'll just go ahead and include the uh, appropriate billing information. There is a secure payment right here to make it really easy for you. Another thing that I did wanna highlight, if you have any questions connected to the Donna process, this is our FAQ link right here. So you can just go ahead, click that link, and that will take you to a more detailed run-through about the types of credit cards that are accepted, Does Spirit Rock accept checks? Yes, yes, we do. All of the mailing information will be included right there. And a a tip about, again, the request to please highlight the July Insight Retreat if you would like to mail in a check. If uh, you'd like to do a donor advised fund, that's acceptable as well. And the Donna Buttons will be on the retreat website for 30 days. So that's just a real quick run through. Again, if you have any ongoing questions or you experience any type of difficulty with the Donna process, please feel free to always send us an email at that retreat website, uh, julylovingkindness at spiritrock.org. And either I or any of the other retreat coordinators on staff will be happy to follow up with you. All right, that's it on my end. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, Is that okay? Well, then I have a minute to say one more thing. (laughs) Absolutely, take it away. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Carlita. Uh, So I want to say that um, this act—you know—these three conditions of merit, uh, merit production—that we can do them uh, with uh, the highest knowledge or wisdom, and we do that by understanding. um you know the opposite of the three root poisons are the three ultimate truths and that is the the uh the truth of dukkha that um you know uh all conditioned existence uh can never bring us any ultimate happiness you know it brings us a little bit of temporary happiness but you know you know look at the two richest people in the world you know, they have everything they want on this planet and they're still looking to be happy. So what are they doing? They're shooting up into outer space looking for more happiness because they couldn't totally find a definitive uh, piece of happiness on the planet. So I think that's an excellent example of dukkha. All conditioned existence isn't ha- doesn't have ultimate happiness. And then uh, of a nature that everything is impermanent. That, you know, right now, if you're feeling generous uh, to yourself by, you know, knowing how much you can give or uh, to others by wanting to support some yogis that can't give or uh, wanting to support the teachers. That's so beautiful. But knowing that that changes too. that, um, you know, if you're feeling generosity right now, if you're feeling generous right now. Uh, that you want to water the seeds of that, because it is going to change, you know, you might be in another retreat next week, or even a day after the Donna and have a different feeling about it. So it does change. And then I love the hot, you know, one of the highest things for us to bring wisdom to these three um, uh, things, Donna, sila, and bhavana, is anatta, uh, just knowing that You know, when we see ourselves changing so rapidly, uh, you know, the question of who we are as solid uh, beings, uh, you know, it really raises uh, uh, or questions the truth of us as being solid individual beings. I mean, we are in our bodies, but, um, you know, that's one of the um, anatta or not self is, uh, and acting from that is actually an excellent. Uh, can be an excellent expression for a uh, generosity, knowing that, you know, who is it that has all this money anyway? And um, yeah, uh, Anata. I love Anata. Uh, I think that Anata thinking that having this or that or being this and that is where my ultimate happiness is, you know, having this partner, having this job, having this degree, having this amount of money, living here or there, you know, they can be, you know, wholesome places, uh, and wholesome uh, goals, but, you know, knowing that there's nobody that's having all of that, or the person who's having all of that is changing all the time, uh, knowing that there's nobody, you know, that this is, uh, this I am, uh, this is mine, you know, having that as a core understanding is actually, uh, the source of a heck of a lot of suffering for us, yeah. And the opposite of that, as uh, Ajahn, um, all of our wonderful uh, Burmese and uh, Thailand teachers, all of, you know, where this tradition comes from, all of our Asian um, teachers, you know, say that, uh, you know, non-self is, you know, having a deep experience of that is, Feeling our deepest interconnectedness, the most profound intimacy, the intimacy that we're looking for in other people and in other events, you know, nowhere near the understanding of non-self and just being one with everyone. You know, and we are all related. (laughs) It's a deep uh, indigenous idea that we can see during some of our deep ceremonies as well. So, I think, I mean, I've got a million other pages here, but I don't want to just go on. I want to invite my beloved other teachers who uh, who are also my teachers and my colleagues. Does anybody have anything they would like to add to that? Sally, you're, you know, you're pretty smart there. <laughs> no? Okay temple or john or christina oh my gosh christina's a natural (laughs) and um yes marcy anybody no okay well then maybe we will end six minutes early or let's actually sit let's actually sit and have our breath uh, pet our heart. How about that? Imagine that our hearts are our uh, beloved animals, and our breath is petting our heart to just show it some love. To soothe it and to. comment the breath is love Chitta our heart. Our heart mind within a whole body awareness. Let's pet our hearts within a whole body awareness. Our breath contains all that love that we give to our, our four-legged beings in our house or the winged ones or the finned ones.